John chapter 16. From verse 5. Now I'm going to him who sent me, yet none of you asks me, where are you going? Because I have said these things, you are filled with grief. But I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the counsellor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. In regard to sin, because men do not believe in me. In regard to righteousness, because I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And in regard to judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. Good morning, everyone. You should have an outline, and we are working our way through um, this fantastic uh, last words of Jesus, really, in one sense. So let's pray and ask him to help us. Father, we thank you that your son loves us to the end. He loves us completely, and he provides us with everything we need to live in this world while he is with you in heaven. Thank you that he has done the best of the best of the best that is possible to do. And we pray that as we look at your word, we may, we may not only hear it, but we may believe it. And we may enjoy it. And it may indeed affect uh, our hearts and our mouths and our hands and our feet. And we pray this in your name. Amen. On your outline, you will note there that I wrote there from sad news to good news to bad news to culmination of bitter news. That's kind of a sweet structure of what we've got. Jesus started by saying, I'm going away, and the disciples were very sad about that. They were very shocked about it. They were very concerned about it. Um, and Jesus then says, no, no, but it's good news that I'm going because I'm going to, as I'm going, prepare a place for you so that you may be with me ultimately where I am one day. And so it turned a little bit from sad to good, and then it turned last week to bad news. Remember, as you walk with Jesus Christ, what you can expect in this life from other people, known human beings, that does not love Jesus, they may do what to you? Three things? Anyone? They may hate you. Uh, that means they don't prefer to hang around with you. It means they prefer to uh, have their own things that is important to them. They don't want to associate with you. They may ignore you. They may dislike you. They may uh, talk behind your back. Uh, they may do all sorts of nasty cultural things to you. Um, hopefully they do it because you're a Christian and not because you're an idiot or an unkind or a stupid person. Um, if you are a Christian, if you are testifying to Jesus Christ, then people won't like it. People don't like to be told that Jesus Christ is Lord. 
Um, so that may happen. It may go a bit further. You may be such a good witness and so persistent that they may persecute you. They may actually come for you. They may actually look out for you to harm you in some capacity, demote you in your job, not empower you in your job, uh, you know, maybe throw you in jail or do something like that. Or they may do a further thing. They may kill you um, if you persist in testifying to Jesus Christ. And we did note that most of the kind of severe death kind of persecution that happens happens from other religions, uh, very seldom from atheists, um, not so much. More other religions, other ideologies, they may be the ones who will really take you out. So chances are of you being killed for your faith in Jesus Christ in South Africa currently is quite low, I take it, but it's always possible. Um, you probably may be more just hated, just not approved and not liked and not uh, uh, encouraged. And so in one sense, it's pretty bad news that comes with the good news of Jesus Christ. You can expect that you are going to find new friends and you're going to make new enemies. People sitting here around you, on average, will be your friends because they also believe in Jesus Christ, but the world may not do that. And Jesus is saying to his disciples, I'm preparing you for this interim period when I leave and before I come back, you are going to be here. But he has been telling us all along, again and again and again and again, of something very important. Now you know when somebody repeats something, it's because it is important. All right. Five times now, in the end of the passage today, Jesus would have spoken about the Holy Spirit. Five different little paragraphs about the Holy Spirit. And Jesus starts out this one by reminding them they are still a little bit sad. They are still not there. And we obviously are not quite there because this is before Jesus was killed, before he was resurrected, before he ascended, before the Spirit was uh, uh, poured out. So we are, in one sense, are not quite there. So we don't really, I take it, can associate with the disciples and how it felt like when Jesus said he was going to go. So they just heard the going. Uh, Jesus is now challenging them to where he's going. So look at what it says there in verse 5. But now I am going to him who sent me. So there Jesus tells them where he's going. No one asked me where are you going. So if you read the text, you'll say, but they did ask where you're going. But it's like a kid, isn't it? A kid has you, and you play with your child when they're young, and you tell them, you get a call from the office, you've got to go and do something in the office, and they're going, and the child is screaming, where are you going? They're not really worried about where you're going, they're worried about the fact that you're going. Jesus says, what I want you to ask is not where am I going, but where am I going? You see the difference in emphasis? I want, you are not asking where am I going, you're asking why are you going almost. And I want you to realize that where I'm going is vital for you because the culmination of all my life, my entire life, teaching, death, and resurrection is for your benefit. It will culminate in what is good. That's fascinating, isn't it? Jesus going away. I mean, the guy who changed the world upside down, fed the, 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 the people, healed the sick, raised the dead, he's going, and he says it is Good. Actually, it will culminate in what is better for you if I go. Really weird statement, isn't it? Wouldn't it be nice to be around Jesus? Who Hands up. Who wants to be with Jesus? Jesus says, nah, it's not good for you. It's better that I go and better that I am in heaven and better that I give you the spirit. It is better for you. Fascinating, isn't it? If, you could, if we could get this time machine thing right that so many movies are about, and you can do some time travel. I wonder where you would want to go to. 
I take it if many Christians would like to go back to the time when Jesus was on earth. And Jesus said, you would be wasting your time. Because I was here and the disciples was right in front of me and they didn't get it. And neither would you. What you need is the Spirit of God. If you are going to understand who I am and what I've done and why I am so glorious, you need the Spirit. So we are actually in a much better position than the disciples. Can you believe it? Yes. It's not easy to think like that. That's what Jesus is saying. Look at it. He actually says it outright. Verse 7. Very truly, I tell you, it is for your good. Actually, it will culminate in what is better for you that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So there Jesus says it. Very straightforward. The Holy Spirit is the one who can bring all the things that I have done into the human heart. They saw Jesus with their eyes. But what you need to do to change, you remember that, is your heart needs to change. Did you know that? You, I mean, I've done this many times. You don't see with your eyes. Did you know that? And you don't hear with your ears. You hear sound coming into your ears. But your heart values what you hear, and that's when you really hear something. Or your heart hates what you hear, and therefore you hate what you hear. Your eyes see the things, but it's your heart that values what you see, and that changes your life. Your eyes doesn't change your life. Your ears doesn't change your life. What you hear and see doesn't change your life. It is when it affirms your heart, or it challenges your heart, that it changes you. Which is fascinating. Which is why we need the Spirit. Because the Spirit is the only one who can enter into the heart of man, as God has promised in the Old Testament. I will make a new covenant with you, and I'll pour out my Spirit on you. And no longer will you just be able to see me with your eyes like you guys have seen me, or hear what I'm saying. Now you will actually truly get it. Then there's good news, isn't it? Seeing Jesus in the flesh will not necessarily change you. Hearing what he says by the Spirit will change you. And that will change your life entirely. And that's what Jesus is on about. That's why he's talking so much about the Spirit. So I know some of your translation says counselor. It's probably not wrong. It's just a bit of a, 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 a difficult... Uh, he's not like a counselor. You can sit on your couch and you know, pour out your heart and then he tells you what to do. He's rather much more like an advocate. The word means parakletos, means para next to. Kletos call, make a call to sit next to someone in order to apply truth that will stand up in a court to you and speak on your behalf. Just fascinating. So the advocate comes, he knows the law, he knows how the law in that sense applies to you as an individual, and he will then speak on your behalf in the court so that he will be able to present your case in public. That's what the Holy Spirit, in one sense, comes and does. And actually, there's two passages that deals with his specific work actually highlights that. So in verses 8 to verse 11, he talks about the work of the Spirit towards the world. There he is speaking on behalf of Jesus Christ to the world. He's representing Christ to the world. And then, on the other hand, in verses 12 to 15, he is representing the truth, and he speaks the truth to the disciples. Firstly, to the apostles and then through them also to us. You see, that's quite easy, isn't it? So in that sense, the Spirit has got a double work. He's the real advocate. He speaks on behalf of Jesus Christ and presents the facts of Jesus Christ to the human heart. 
as well as he presents the facts of how it applies to us, to the disciples' heart. So the one he brings about, as we say there, he brings about conviction or he shows the world that they are wrong and will prove them to be wrong. There's the language. So the NIV in this case is quite good translation. He will prove them. He will bring them to the point where they can no longer argue the reality of the significance of Jesus Christ. He will bring you to the point where it's beyond a shadow of doubt, as we would use kind of law language, that Jesus Christ is indeed who he claims to be. And in your heart, there will be that conviction. Because when God speaks to you into your heart, what other people say becomes a little bit less valuable. So the Spirit will bring and prove to people, beyond, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that they are sinners. And he will, judge, he will prove them that their understanding of righteousness is wrong. And he will tell them that their understanding of judgment is wrong. So look again at verse 8. He will prove the world wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. And then in verse 9 to 11, he explains each one of these little things. So these little things are very closely connected to one another. You can't, I mean, they're almost like the Trinity. They're one thing, but they're three different angles on the one thing. He will convict you about what is sin. He will convict you about what is righteousness. And he will convict you about what is judgment. And they are all interconnected. So your view on sin will affect how you understand righteousness, which will affect how you judge. How you judge is based on how you see righteousness, and that's your understanding of sin. You know? It doesn't matter where you start with them. You can kind of do whatever you like. They actually connect together, and they affect our lives. And so the first thing, note verse 9, about sin, because people do not believe in me. That's a very odd statement, isn't it? When we use the word sin, what comes to mind? People come to mind that we have done something we ought not to have done. I took the cookie when I wasn't supposed to take the cookie. Or I gossiped when I wasn't supposed to gossip. Or I, uh, what, a million other things. That is not what you will be convicted of. Your conscience is powerful enough to convict you of that. The Spirit does not need to convict you of that. That is already given. Everybody knows that. Everybody knows you're not to take the cookie when it says don't take the cookie. All right. You may deny not taking the cookie, but that's not what the Spirit will convict you of, per se. What He will convict you of is that you do not believe that Jesus Christ is God. That is the conviction that the Spirit brings about. You see, He will convict you of sin, not of sins. Behind every one of our sins sit our sin, which is to deny God as God. That's what the Spirit will convict you of. Your problem is not that you have done wrongs and sins. Your problem is that in your heart, before you've done your sin, you have already decided God is not worthy of being God and being loved and obeyed and praised and worshipped. That's why you did a sins thing. I take the cookie because I've already decided God has got no right to tell me how to live my life. And therefore, I'll express it in taking the cookie that I'm not supposed to take. So what the Spirit will do is the Spirit will bring into your mind a God consciousness that every single thought that you have is connected to Him and that you have not connected it to Him. He will prove you that you are wrong about sin because there's only one 
person who is God in full. His name is Jesus Christ. If you reject Jesus, who is the clearest revelation of God, then it's obviously that you've rejected God. Because that's where God has made himself the clearest of all his revelations, right through the scriptures. God has spoken to us in many and varied ways. But in the last days, he's spoken to us through his son. And if you reject that, it's just pure evidence that you've got no regard for God whatsoever if you do not believe in Jesus Christ. See how interesting it is? You will start to know that your relationship to Jesus Christ is the most important thing in your life. And not having him there is what actually makes you into a sinner. All right, you got it? Which then obviously goes to the next stage. Your understanding of righteousness. He says, he will convict the world that their standards of righteousness is wrong because I am the only one who can go to the Father and stand before him in full acceptance. Every other standard of righteousness fails and cannot stand before God because you are sinned, you are unrighteous. Righteousness is a fantastic word. It's not a word we use often, but it's everywhere. You have what we would call Stellenbosch, because probably my kids are there. You've got Stellenbosch righteousness. Did you know that? What makes you to be a true student of Stellenbosch? What are the signs? You have to kiss a girl next to the lawn and an acorn needs to fall on your head while you're doing it. Then you are a Stellenbosch student. Now many guys can't find the girls to kiss so they've changed the language. There used to be a pub called the Akar. And so now it's not the Akar that falls on your head while in the lawn. You fall on your head in the Akar. <laughs> then you're also a student. All right? That is what you would call righteousness. In order to belong to this group, there are certain characteristics, certain traits, certain behaviors that marked you out. I mean, I remember France at one stage wanted to be part of the Harley Davidson club. And he got a Harley Davidson. And when they started to talk about the initiations and that he has to get a Harley Davidson jacket, he started to backtrack. And he didn't want to get onto the tables with his Harley Davidson jacket because you need a Harley Davidson and a Harley Davidson jacket to belong to the righteousness of the Harley Davidson club. France then made the mistake and bought a Vespa. <laughs> I mean, he was kicked out immediately. Then no way you're going to belong to the Harley Davidson club with the Vespa. I mean, it just doesn't work, is it? You are breaking the righteousness of the club. You in your own house have got it. You belong to this family. We are the Alberts, and this is how we do things. This is our righteousness. You better conform to these patterns. So we all have these things, but they are all arbitrary. And Jesus is saying, what, Jesus, what the Spirit will convince you about, that the only righteousness that will ever get you into the presence of God is the righteousness of Christ himself. You've got no hope. There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one that only does good, not even one. No one. No one. No one. No amount of righteousness that you come from your family and your background and all your stuff will ever get you to stand before God in joy and in openness of relationship, face to face. There's only one person who can get there and his name is Jesus Christ. The Spirit will convince you. You will, I don't have to argue with you. 
No one will teach you that. That is the work of the Spirit. You will know it in your heart of hearts. There is no way that I can ever think I'm going to stand before God and tell Him that I have helped the old lady across the street and therefore I need to be accepted. You will know that. If you don't know that, well, then the Spirit needs to convict you of that still, isn't it? And then obviously the next one, very simple, your judgment will go out the door. So we tend to judge people based on our standards of righteousness. You know, I can't believe that family is doing that kind of a thing, you know. Look at they raise their kids like that, you know. We never do that kind of stuff. Oh, well, you judge them based on your standard of righteousness. He says that he will convict the world of judgment because the prince of this world is already condemned. That's a very funny statement, isn't it? The prince of the world is the devil, all right? He makes his rounds kind of quite often in John's gospel. He actually was a couple of chapters earlier. He says, the devil is coming for me, and he's got no hold on me. But I'm going to prove to the world that I do everything the Father asks me, and I will die. And you know what? The devil will think he's won. He has judged Jesus, and he's won. And actually, he is being judged. Because he tells every human being that you can live an alternative life outside of God. You can do your own thing and you will find life. That's the devil's greatest strategy. Do not believe you cannot live without God. You can do your own thing. Starts in Genesis chapter 3. Already, the one who has instituted this idea that you could live without God and without Jesus and without absolute righteousness, he is the one who is going to be condemned by my death. And so will everyone who ever thought you could ever live without God will have the same understanding. And again, that is something that the Spirit will bring about, which is fantastic news, isn't it? They're going to hate you. They're going to despise you. They're going to persecute you. And they may even kill you as you witness to Jesus Christ. But while you are witnessing to Jesus Christ in those contexts, the Spirit of God will be at work to bring those very people to an understanding of sin, of righteousness, and judgment. You don't have to worry about it. You testify. You go for it. Good news? You don't have to try and convince anybody. You testify. The Spirit is the one who does the convincing. He is the one that brings it, that the human heart, that person who hears that, gets to the point where they say, I have got no other place to go but to acknowledge that this is true. None of all my arguments stand up anymore. They don't hold water anymore. I will bow before Jesus Christ. Good news, hey? So you don't have to be an expert. You can just testify. Secondly, the spirit of truth will come and he will also minister to the disciples. And so very quickly, shortly, he says to them, I know you can't bear what I'm saying to you now. You are, you are too emotional. You are too upset you are too whatever. And so don't worry too much about it. Because the Spirit's job is not only to convict the world. The Spirit's job is to actually equip you. So that when you are, as you grow, you will actually get everything, every bit of the truth as it relates to me. Look at what it says. But when he, the Spirit, verse 13, comes, he will guide you into all truth. Or into every bit of the truth. It's probably a nicer way of putting it. You will start to see how Jesus Christ fit in with everything. More and more, you will become more and more convinced that everything relates somehow to Jesus Christ. He will break it open to you. 
He will lead you to see that life cannot be had outside of Jesus Christ. Your heart will become more and more sure of that reality. Secondly, he will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive or take what he will make known to you. So here's the Spirit. The Spirit, like Jesus, Jesus only says what the Father says because Jesus says everything that the Father says. So the Spirit only says what Jesus says because the Spirit can say everything that Jesus says. Isn't that how weird that is? Here you find, I mean, here's the, probably the, the weirdest and the most amazing thing. Here you have the Trinity described in a delightful interdependence on one another. The Father loves the Son and gives Him everything. And the Son loves the Father and does everything the Father gives Him. And the Spirit loves the Son and brings everything that He does into the human heart. They each have their own role, and yet they are always doing it across section. That's great, isn't it? That's fascinating. Do you love to be dependent and interdependent on other people? Or is that a pain in your backside? You cannot do it on your own. Bad news or good news? Depends on if you have the Spirit's conviction in your heart. Wow. I need the Father and the Son and the Spirit. And I need you to grow. In Christ-likeness. I am interdependent on you. That is a delightful thing. <laughs> Have you got there yet? <laughs> the Spirit is amazing. He's saying to you, your idea of independence is Satan's idea. He says to you, you can have life without God. And you can have life any way you like and don't care what other people happen to other people. That's his words. That's not God the Father. God the Father says everything is interdependent on one another. The Spirit delights to give everything that Jesus gives. And Jesus gives everything the Father gives. And then it goes around and around and around. And we get sucked into that vortex in one sense. And he says that's what the Spirit will do. You will become more and more glad that you are that dependent and interdependent. By the Spirit and the Son and even one another, the disciples for one another. That's good news to you. Not yet. Don't worry. Jesus will get you there. Follow Jesus and he'll get you there. That's what he keeps on saying. And then he says, he will glorify me, verse 14, because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. And he says it again. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me and will make it known. The Spirit will help you to glorify Jesus Christ more and more consciously. The importance of Jesus Christ will grow in your estimation of the importance of what life is all about. And the beauty and the splendor of Jesus Christ, which is His glory, will become more and more the thing that you are gobsmacked about. You hear a piece of beautiful music, what do you tend to do? You? Keep it all for yourself. You see a fantastic photograph and you never post it. No, 
what you find glorious, you share. He will glorify me. And you will say, if there's one thing I want to talk about, it is the glory, the wonder, the splendor, the importance of Jesus Christ. That's what the Spirit's going to do. Increasingly. Yes, sometimes we go for a dips and we go on off tracks, but that is the Spirit's great work. He will help you to stand in awe of Jesus Christ. He is the one who, to whom all things belong. The Spirit will help you to see how all things relate to Jesus Christ. You get Jesus, you get everything else thrown in, isn't it? I mean, that's what the, the, the Word actually tells us. Along with Christ, you get all things. Because all things belong to Him. You get Him, you get all things. Yes! <laughs> Thanks, sir. That was a really good exclamation mark on that point. Timing perfect. But isn't it good news? So, if you sit here and it doesn't sound too good to you, then go to Jesus Christ and look at him and ask him to open the eyes of your heart by the Spirit that you may see who he is. Why is he so amazing? Why does people make such a big deal? What is it about him that is so amazing? Ask him. Lord, you tell me why you are so amazing. Because, I mean, it says it, but I don't get it. I mean, you know, it's not in my heart. It's not in my mind. It's not in my vocabulary. It's not in my message that I'm carrying out. Won't you allow the Spirit to come and do that and to lead me into all of that reality? So the good news of the Spirit is, is that you go to Jesus and He gives you the Spirit. I mean, this gets quite complicated because depending on your different theological positions, very quick, and I hope I make some of you angry at this point and some of you happy. If you're in a more reformed position, the answer is always go to the Bible. Guys, the Bible says go to Jesus. By all means, read the Bible, but read the Bible because the Bible says go to Jesus. You can go to the Bible and not go to Jesus. It's very, very possible. I did it for 19, 20 years of my life. I wanted all the answers from the Sunday school classes. I had no concern with Jesus Christ. Do not waste your time. Read your Bible to get to Jesus. If you don't get to Jesus, you're missing the whole boat, the entire thing. You're on the wrong page. You're reading it for the wrong reason. Here's the other side of the coin. When you go to Jesus, He gives you the Spirit. Don't look for the Spirit, look for Jesus. That's what he says. It's not the Spirit, it's Jesus who gives you the Spirit. Jesus gives you the Word and Jesus gives you the Spirit. He is the center of what God wants our attention on. And you've got to think that through. Good news. Jesus Christ is the one who dispenses the Spirit, if you want to go that language, when you use that language. It is as he is lifted high, the Spirit uses that to bring about conviction. So by all means, read the Scriptures to get to Jesus. And by all means, follow the Spirit to get to Jesus. But make sure you get to Jesus. 
And that's the good thing. So you need to testify about Jesus and he will do the convicting work. Even in your own heart. Now this is the other side. As you confess Jesus, you know what will happen to you? You will become more convicted. He who believes in his heart and confesses with his mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord will be saved. If you believe it in your heart and don't confess your mouth, you will not know the power of the conviction of the Spirit in your being. If you confess Jesus with your mouth, but you don't believe him in your heart, you won't do it either. Again, one of the drawbacks of church, isn't it? I mean, I confess Jesus Christ as Lord long before I believe in Jesus Christ as Lord. I mean, which is a good thing, but also not a good thing. You know what I'm trying to say? I was taught, stand up, now you confess Jesus as Lord. Everybody stands up. You're not going to sit. I mean, you're going to look like an idiot. You get up and you confess it. But it's not in your heart. So I thought because I can say the creed, I'm a Christian. No? No, you're not. It's when the conviction by the Spirit is in your heart that it comes out of your mouth. Now, I probably need to add a word in spontaneously. Not trained. That's how you grow in your conviction. Do you only speak about Jesus at church or Bible study, or do you speak about Jesus Christ because he is your Lord in all things? Faithful, thankful. I mean, he made the point this morning, isn't it? Did you get it? Jesus is Lord of all. So how is it possible that you do not want to or talk to him in all the things of life only when you're at church or in Bible study? Is he the Lord of all in your life, or is he just the Lord of those moments? See how we undercut our own growth? Ask the Spirit to give you such an wonder at the beauty and the glory of Christ that you will speak to Him, testify to Him whenever the opportunity arises. Whether you are opening the Bible in front of you or not, that will help you to know that you actually have that conviction in your heart when it comes out of your mouth, when it's not required. So that's one of the things. What are you thinking and praying and dreaming about when you have nothing to think and pray and dream about? There's nothing that you have to do. Does Jesus ever feature there at all? Ask the Spirit, why is it that I don't have it if I feel I don't have it? If you're aware that you don't have it, then ask Him, because that's His job. Go to Jesus Christ and say, won't you break open yourself to me that I can see how glorious you really are? That I may testify and that you may do your work. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for, yeah, for the Spirit, that you've poured out the Spirit based on the absolute perfect life and teaching and death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ. And that the Spirit is the one who helps us to internally come to a conviction of those external realities that happened in time and history, plus minus 2,000 years ago. We thank you that the Spirit constantly wants to convince us of the beauty and the glory and the splendor and the uniqueness and the importance and the centrality of Jesus Christ. And thank you, as we've said, sung this morning, and maybe some of us sung it because we have to, when you turn your eyes on Jesus and look full into his wonderful face, then yeah, this world with all its joys and pains and frustrations and 
destructions grow strangely dim in the light of his glory, his splendor, his importance, and his grace. Lord, won't you help us in all things to learn to turn to Jesus Christ and to look at him so that the Spirit may bring that reality into our hearts so that we may overcome the immediate heart's response of selfishness and sin and confusion and sadness and evil that we find so often still lurking inside us so that we may glorify Christ. Maybe all by ourselves. Maybe with other people. What an incredible gift. The gift that you keep on talking about. The Spirit is coming. The Advocate is coming. He's going to talk to you on behalf of what I have done for you. And He's going to apply every bit of the perfect legal standing that I've given you with the Father. He's going to apply it to you. And He's going to show you why that is so magnificent for every moment and situation and thought. Oh Lord, we pray for your Spirit to awaken us so that our eyes can look at the glory of Christ. Thank you for this morning. Thank you for the massive, massive, massive gift of your spirit based on the enormous life of Jesus Christ. So hear our prayers, Lord, as we come to your table, as we come to celebrate and say, you said, remember me when you eat this piece of bread and drink this bit of juice. May our hearts remember you with deeper and deeper appreciation of your glory and your splendor. And may it melt away all our issues and all our sins and all our confusions and all our broken down relationships, Lord. So we come to your table and we ask you to minister to us, to feed our hearts so that our mouths will overflow with the testimony about the glory of Jesus Christ. And we pray this in your name. Amen.